foolish listeners to a haunted podcast featuring ghosties, ghoulies, and at least one very gifted statue. All this and more on a very spooktacular episode of Created Things. Hello and welcome to Created Things, the only art podcast hosted by one guy who looks like a ghost at Halloween, and another guy whose vestments make him look like a ghost all year round. How's it going, Father Gabriel? I'm doing fantastic. I don't know if you know about this, but I feel like you are appreciably more ghost-like right now than you ordinarily are, but for reasons I can't actually pin down. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. And for those of uh, you listening to this recording, um, I, psychotherapist and artist, Jacob Flores Popcheck, am currently wearing a spooky sheet to Ooh, look like a... I to, thought it might be something like that. I was like, you know, I have to admit, I couldn't tell 100% if it was a spooky sheet or a bed sheet, but I'm glad you clarified. Well, my, my bed sheets are spooky. They're also quite warm under this light, so I'm going to... Move this real quick. Behold! Oh no! He uh, knocked my headphones off too. That's a lot better. Spooky they look sheets. A lot better. Just, they're very complicated. You know, see the problem with being a Dominican. If there is any one problem with being a Dominican, it's this: is that like I want to get in the spirit of things and do things spooky, and like I'm always, I'm always wearing white, and I'm always like wearing a hood, and so like a spooky thing is like pulls. <clears throat> pull a hood over your eyes so that nobody can see you anymore. Like, what if I pull it all the way over my face? And that's all really scary, except for then you look like you're in the clan. The clan. Um, and I don't mean the Wu-Tang. I mean the <laughs> other one. The uh, opposite of the Wu-Tang. Arguably the opposite, yeah. Um, and uh, you know what? You're just nobody's friend at that point. So um, it's kind of how it is. Yeah. I, I would say that of the things the clan has done, the second worst is ruining wearing white sheets for all of us festive thank halloweeners thank you yes i have always thought that um yes definitely makes, second yes. Not De- solid second first, solid second yeah right mm-hmm. it's no there. yeah number two number two yeah <laughs> so number number one is a big category uh but you know like there are other things too like you know there it is there also it is. making also making it so that i would say number three would be making it so that um uh uh whimsical um kids cookies you know can't uh can't can't be like kids crunchy cookies you know oh yeah um, because of the alliteration yeah yeah it doesn't work permanently you know? ruined a whole set of alliteration yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah the more i learn about the kkk the more i don't care for them i know it seems weird right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a Norm McDonald joke. Rest in peace. He passed away a few short weeks ago. The great wait. Norm, Norm McDonald is dead. Yeah, dude. You didn't know? No. Nobody. He's... Nobody. How how is this possible? My yeah. my my heart monitor on Norm McDonald has failed to go off when his heart ceased. That's yeah, terrible. He, he was uh, secretly apparently uh, struggling with cancer for the last like ten years or. 12 oh, wow. years or something and, oh, wow. and didn't tell anybody not his friends or his family or anything and he passed away a couple weeks ago and oh um, man yeah several of us myself our producer kyle meineke 
uh, have all been trading our favorite Norm Macdonald jokes in in remembrance of of that man. And that's that that was always his bit. He says, "The more you know, the more I learn about this uh, this Adolf Hitler, the more I don't care for him." <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I love that guy. Speaking though of dearly departed, of loved mm. ones who have gone before us. Mm. Today, we're beginning a little bit of a series on created things, you and I. We, yes. We're beginning, it is now officially October, and we are beginning a series that we hope to be annual of spooky episodes. I'm a festive boy. I love Halloween. You are a faithful boy. You love all saints. Yes. And so we we are going to be exploring lots of different spooky subjects over this spooktober. True. My only concern is whether these are would you call the, would you say that these episodes are spooky created things or created spooky things? Oh my gosh, they're, that's good. They're different. That, should, that deserves a whole episode just to figure that out. I know. I have a strong commitment to adjectival primacy, so like, uh, you know, this is oh it's God. just it's important to think about. <laughs> oh, you goon, you goon. Well, I can't say I can't criticize because you know, I underneath my ghost sheet, I was and then still am wearing this uh, this spooky Halloween sweater. It's got ghoulies and ghosties on it. It does. Yeah, I can confirm this. I am seeing it virtually with my eyes. And ashamedly, uh. This is not my only Halloween sweater. I have others. This is just the only one that's thin enough to wear when it's this hot out still. <laughs> yes, because uh, Cincinnati has gotten more than its special share of global warming. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, by the way, has Chicago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we just we just went ahead and traded in everything else um, to cash in 100% of global warming. Uh, oh, okay. And it's just 1,000 degrees. So it's all great. Yeah. You know, it's like surface of the sun uh, and everybody gets shot. So like, what would you not want? So, so Bishop Theodore from our last episode was right. The Theodore, please. Yes, oh, Theodore, exactly. Sorry, I thought it was yes. Theodore. I always think Theodore in my head, but it's Theodore. Dorf. Excuse me. Dorf. 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 I, I like Theodore, <laughs> though. Dorf. More like Theodork. Uh. One one time I was asking my brother, who's uh, my eldest brother, who is a classicist, um, for I had written this paper uh, on like a contemporary Japanese novel. And... Um, well, a modern Japanese novel from the 30s. And um, I had written this paper that I thought was very clever. And I told him what the paper was about. And I was like, I need a clever classical epigram. But I'd never, of course, like read any of the classics and didn't speak, you know, Greek or Latin or anything like that. Uh, <clears throat> and so he gave me this really sweet quote um, from Epictetus. Uh, but I didn't never heard the name Epictetus. And so I put it in my paper as um, this like cool little head note epigram at the beginning uh, as Epicletus. <laughs> And to this day, Epicletus has remained my favorite classical Roman hillbilly. There you go. Well, I mean, there uh, of which there are many, but I'm glad he's at the top of the list for you. Indeed. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Well, I want to jump into this because we got a lot of ground to cover this spooktober, you and I. And we, mm. we talked, we've talked about a couple of the topics we want to discuss in this series. And we realized that really the first one we should do is just talking about Halloween itself. Um Growing up, I did not experience this in my family, thank God, but I was surrounded by many uh, very devout, well-intentioned, I always have to put well-intentioned in there with an asterisk, uh, 
religious families who felt that Halloween was evil. Um, evil. 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 And they would uh, not let their kids go trick-or-treating Aww. or watch spooky movies Aww. with ghosties or ghoulies or anything with magic in it. Oh, I, I know. And 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 I was I was fiercely judged for my participation in the holiday, which which led me on a lifelong quest to defend Halloween to my Christian brothers and sisters. Um, I've collected a lot of very nerdy information over the years uh, that has only doubled down on my excitement the second October 1st hits. So I, I'm very excited to discuss with you. Um, what is the often unknown uh, Catholic origins and importance of Halloween? Why Halloween is a lot more badass than you think it is on, on both a cultural and a spiritual level and get into all those nitty gritties. But uh, I'm curious before we start, like historically, what's, what's been your personal experience of Halloween? So <clears throat> me personally, um, you know, I didn't grow up Catholic. I grew up Presbyterian. And um, so we were pagans. We did whatever we wanted. No, uh, <laughs> but you know, my, my, my parents were good about it. They were not uptight. You know, we, they, they didn't really care. So we would dress up and we would do things and, you know, whatever. It was all just pretty, pretty ordinary stuff. Um, Halloween, I confess, for me was always a somewhat vexed time because uh, I, gentle listener, uh, have a fatal allergy to eggs and nuts, which makes me the easiest human being on the planet to kill. Uh, oh, because, boy, yeah. um, uh, so, so this would be that, that, you know, we would go trick or treating my next little brother and I it would be so much fun and all this kind of stuff. And then like, there would always be this tragic moment when you get home and you like dump out your haul, uh, on the table. And then like my parents would go through and they would sort through the candies that I could eat and the candies that I couldn't. And then my brother would get the ones that I couldn't. Um, and then you would end up with this kind of like little sad pile of smarties, which by oh. the way, they're all right. You know, when you can't eat any other candies, smarties are still pretty good. Sure. Um, but, uh, but then like all the really good candies would like go over to my brother. And so there's always like a little, like a little bit of a selfish heart wrenching moment, uh, of like, this too shall pass. <laughs> See, I had I had a similar experience, but it was self-chosen and therefore way less empathizable. I was just I just didn't like candy straight up. Oh, that's I just genuinely just didn't like enjoy a psychological candy. problem. Yeah, that's I I, I not was good. into Halloween for the the most fabulous reason, which was that it allowed me to wear costumes outside. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. yeah. that was the draw for me. And I would voluntarily give my sister most of the candy, except the neighborhood we went to trick or treat in, which was not our neighborhood. We we drove to it. But it was this very sort of like wealthy suburban neighborhood from from a movie. I mean, everybody was decked out to the nines and people would give away whole like whole full bags of potato chips. They would give oh. away those like mug juices for kids, like the oh little plastic gosh. barrels. They would give away like fruit sometimes and like old people, it was all old people, all old Italian ladies. And they would like bring you into their house, even though they didn't know you. And they would take a photo of you in your costume so they could like compare it to next year. And they would have like all the kit, like everybody, it was crazy. And there was only one old lady I really didn't like. Um, because she always misidentified my costume and I felt triggered <laughs> by that. So one sure. year I went as a pirate 
and she said she complimented me and said I was such a good musketeer, and that really pissed me off. Mm. And then the following year, I went as Jack Skellington from Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, a classic. And she said, "What a good marshmallow you are." Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Here, listen. Now, this is this is a ser- this is a serious problem. Like, is that is that her problem or is that your problem? How good I feel was like your Jack Skellington costume? I feel like if you thought more, it was a marshmallow. I feel like it's more a reflection of of uh, Tim Burton's character design, Henry Selleck's character design. Jack mm. Skellington looks too much like a marshmallow. I take no culpability or responsibility in in that fact. That seems fair. That seems fair. Yeah. Focus group, <laughs> old ladies. Result, you look like a marshmallow. <laughs> uh, we have discovered the real meaning of Halloween. Being the only Irish kid in an all-Catholic Italian old world community was was always a, a funny thing. But uh yeah. but that yeah. was one of those. That was one of those weird experiences that I felt like an alien for, but that was always very fun for me. I always loved it a lot. Thankfully, though, the the positive experiences of Halloween do not begin and end with me. Thankfully, though, these <gasps> Halloween, although it's thought of, dear listener, as this uh, you know sort of modern hokey custom with lots of blood and gore and things. Um, has actually been the Halloween you know it to be for a lot longer than you think, and it's also been that way for a lot deeper reasons than you think. Um, But maybe before I get into some of the cool little tidbits that I've picked up about Halloween and some of the customs, Father Gabriel, could you just sort of set the table here for us and explain um, where Halloween comes from in terms of of all saints and all souls and and that sort of thing from a from sort of a religious perspective for those who maybe even haven't heard of those days, right? Yeah. So All Saints Day, so it's November first, um, and it's the day that the church has established for um, praying to God in Thanksgiving for and praying for the intercession of um, all the people who have died and who are in heaven. Um, who are so saints because they are living perfectly with God in heaven, uh, but whom we don't know, you know, uh, which is to say, like, we don't, we don't know for sure that they're in heaven. Like we don't, like the church hasn't pronounced on, they don't have a feast day, all that kind of stuff. So it's right. The anonymous um, dudes. Yeah. Anonymous people who are just like, like, you know, living in heaven, like this is the whole goal of human life, you know, and they are doing it, but we just don't know who they are, you know? Uh, and so we spent, we set aside a whole day just to like, pray uh to them and thanks thank god for their for uh for their um living of the christian life and for their helping us to live in the christian life now all that kind of stuff um and then of course right this is probably obvious but you get halloween uh all hallows eve um which is just the vigil of all hallows day so all all holy people's day all saints day um so then there's a nice little combination that gets squeezed together so that's all cool um, but it is, it, there is a little bit of a question about exactly how this whole thing gets started. Um, so I happen to have with me here, behold, not the original. I have printed this oh from a PDF, you but it? I ha- I printed it from, well, from a are PDF, a, but I have a here. Pilgrim? Yes, I did. I printed it with a quill. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it is, it is the first All Saints Day homily actually oh, um wow. like ever which is yeah 
yeah as a universal feast day yes this is the first one we have record of it um because it was it was preached by this guy named Helizaka um to louis the pious who was um emperor um he's uh after charlemagne's son um and uh and so everyone involved was famous uh and they they saved the whole thing um and the way that he says it so elizakar says uh to, at the be- thank you at the at the beginning of uh, of this first homily he says we read in the ecclesiastical histories that uh saint boniface who was the fourth um uh to hold the episcopacy in rome after um gregory the great um which so he, and he goes on to explain that uh what he says happens is that uh this pope um at the beginning of the seventh century uh asks the emperor uh emperor focus for um the church in rome that had been um the pantheon so dedicated to all the gods uh and he says like well listen it shouldn't be dedicated like gods because these aren't real gods they're demons uh but we should like um banish all the demons and then we should like make this thing dedicated to mary and all the martyrs so mary mary is like a queen of the martyrs and then mary and all the martyrs um and so that happens and so the emperor gives him uh gives him the pantheon and then it's rededicated as um under the patronage of mary and all the martyrs so um so if you go to the pantheon today that's what it's known as right so it's uh, i mean everyone calls it the pantheon but if you go inside, it's dedicated to Mary and all the martyrs. Um, so, okay, so there's that. Um, historically, it seems like the day that that was, it was, I think it was March 13th or May 13th. I always forget which one um, was the, was the day that that was originally celebrated. And again, it's more local. It's in the city of Rome. Uh, and it's for this one specific church for Mary and all the martyrs. Right. This is not uh, a massive holiday for all of of the Roman Empire. And this isn't even right. a response to a specific holiday. This is a response to basically a specific building that they're now occupying. Yeah, there's some there's some thought that um, that the choice of that of that day uh, may have had something to do with um, there was a Roman um you know pre pre-christian uh religious holiday for um for the dead on that date um the in, in march march 13th or may 13th i forget which one it was again I'm, I'm sorry i should know but i don't and um uh and so there's some uh, there's some thought that maybe that date was chosen um to sort of supplant and replace which of course was a pretty common thing um in the early days of the church this is relatively late um uh, so I I need to do some more looking to see whether uh, that's exactly what happened because the early seventh century is kind of late to, um, for a for a Roman um, religious holiday to to continue to be observed. So I would be a little bit surprised if that was the case, but it might be. Um, and uh, anyway, but then um, uh, but then at one point the date gets shifted to um, November first, um, and there isn't a lot of consensus on well there's no consensus on why that is um but uh, but the date gets shifted to november 1st and it really starts to get um observed in so so originally we see this like local holiday kind of for this one particular church and is just in the city of rome in the seventh century and then in the late eighth century uh you start to see some record of like england ireland uh especially England and Ireland, and then eventually um, what's going to be like your 
Carolingian Empire uh, celebrating it and celebrating it on October 1 and it's specifically as the Feast of All the Saints. October so, 1 or November 1? November 1, excuse me. Okay, uh, yeah. November 1 as the Feast of All the Saints. Um, so exactly what its connection to um, uh, Rome and and what Rome was doing is a, is a little bit hazy because we just don't have all of the links in the chain. Um, it's possible that it, that basically they had kind of heard about the idea of celebrating all the saints and then like shifted it to their own date for their own reasons. Um, but then but but then significantly, um, you know, the eighth century, this is the time period when like all of these missionaries are coming from like mostly Ireland, some from England. Uh, and they're running all over what's now like Germany and France um, and preaching and converting people like crazy. And they're hugely influential and they become really kind of at the heart of the Carolingian Empire and all of this. Um, and um, and one of these guys we have a really clear record of, um, Alquin, who's English, he's from York. And um, we have like, letters from him talking to talking to um people in what's now Germany uh, in the Carolingian court talking about like celebrating this feast of all saints um, and this uh, or something like it. And then this sermon, this seems to be the very first one for like the public celebration of this proposed as a universal feast day. That's not just like okay. a local thing. It's not like a um, it's not one country. This country um, seems like it's actually kind of established by the Emperor Louis the Pious um, as this feast day that's going to be observed in the entire empire um, on November 1st. And um, uh, and the Pope, like, it's so exa again, exactly like, and we have two different accounts of it, of, of how it gets started. Uh, and who does it is different in both cases. Oh, we have two different accounts uh, that are both contemporaneous. They're both from the 830s. Uh, and in one of them, it's the Pope who starts it. And uh, and it's a continuous connection with um, with this thing that happened back in the 7th century. Uh, and in the other, it's like kind of Louis the Pious who starts it. So it's a little bit uncertain. Um, there's some uh, politics in the background. But in any case, um, but it's just kind of interesting to, to look at uh, this. Um, so there's like one, one of the first things that that um, this Helizahar says uh about about all saints when he's first like when when they're when they're first doing it you know it's like the first homily that we have when you're like basically you're preaching to the emperor but by, by preaching to the emperor you're preaching to the whole world about like what is this new feast day that we're celebrating sure um, emperors were convenient that way they are convenient that way yeah it's <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like telling you telling your twitter influencer influencer things you know mm -hmm. and that's just then and then she just spreads it everywhere um so uh so it goes like this um that um okay so this thing is established and then um so um uh so it's considered that um we uh that this is the day in which we preach to the honor and memory of all the saints um so that uh whatever somebody has done by human frailty or from ignorance or negligence or through um over involvement in secular affairs um on this solemnity of all the saints, um, it might be fully expunged, um, and that uh, by uh, fully you know, fully expunged and um, wiped away by this holy observation, uh, holy uh, observance of this of this solemnity. Um, uh, in 
such that um, we might be able to ourselves attain uh, under the patronage of so many uh, so many patrons to the joy of the heavenly spheres. And it goes on and on and on, um, which I think is I think is really great that there is this um, at the beginning, this uh, penitential or like um, purgative recognition that like, um, OK, so we've sinned and done bad stuff um, and that there's something particular about going to all the saints um, and that in thanking God for all the saints um, that you are part it's particularly tied with repentance for your sins, receiving deeper forgiveness for your sins, um, and receiving the intercession of the saints to bring you to heaven. Um, which is really cool. It is really cool. And it reminds me of something, you know, you and I had a conversation some time ago where you you said, and it stuck with me, that that fundamentally Christianity is not a religion. It it's a relationship. Right. It's not yeah. actually designed to be an organized religion. It's designed to be a relationship at its core. And the saints, just from a theological perspective, are such an intrinsic part of that. Right. The, the Christian journey um, from from the Christian perspective, anyway, is is one where I'm increasingly um, meshing myself within the, the community and I'm, I'm continually uh, fudging the lines, blurring the lines between where that community begins and ends. So I'm I'm entering the community of the church on this side of heaven, but I'm increasingly, you know, fudging the lines, the the veil, if you will, between this life and the next to bring myself into greater community with those people over there. And that that glue that's holding us all together is the grace of God. And so insofar as I draw closer to the, the earthly community or the heavenly community, that's the closer I get to God. And the closer I get to God, the closer I get to everybody else. And so it's this extremely relational thing. And I see, you know, veneration of the saints, of course, as emblematic of that, but, but the, uh, the feast of all saints and, and what has become Halloween as as especially emblematic of that, at least in kind of a, a celebratory way. I want to cut back, though, to something you were talking about. You were talking about how, you know, this feast supplanted some kind of a Roman tradition of some sort. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are going to be on this, but I want to give my two cents on that quickly just because I think it, there, there's a perspective widely propagated by, like, History Channel and, and these sorts of, like, pop historical uh, uh, venues that says, you know, that, that sort of posits this narrative that Christians are running around and somehow they've got maybe like military might behind them or they've got some kind of, you know, power to influence other people with. And they're, they're rolling into town and they're saying, screw your holiday, man. You're not allowed to celebrate that holiday anymore. And then they're just repackaging it almost immediately as this sort of weird Christian off-brand version. And, and that is what you hear all the time. You hear that Christians did that with Halloween. Now you're saying that that might have been kind of a Roman custom. Some people have argued that that is, that they're doing that with an, with an Irish custom, Sam Hain. Not right. a not a lot of archaeological evidence to suggest that that's necessarily true, but we'll we'll put that on the table for a moment. People argue that, of course, Christmas was done for that reason. You know, oh, this used to be a midwinter festival. This is pagan, blah blah blah, and Christians stole it from us, et cetera, and so forth. And I I just again, I'm curious what your thoughts are going to be, but I just think that opinion is super offensive to pagans, or should be. 
I think it's just oh, super sure. derogatory towards pagans. Because if I was celebrating something and some guy came into town and said, you can't celebrate, like you can't celebrate Christmas anymore, for instance. Okay. You have to celebrate Snowflake Day instead. Yay! And we're all going to celebrate Snowflake Day instead. I would hate that. Even if he let me do all the same things. In fact, especially if he encouraged me to do all the same things. If you're like, you can still have a Christmas tree. You just got to call it a snowflake day tree now. And all these things. I would be livid. I would fight it tooth and nail. And most people would, which is why you get, you know, a lot of Christians now resisting what they think is the, or what they often argue is the commercialization of Christmas, right? They don't want their customs to be uh, misappropriated and, and secularized. And I, th I think any human being is that way. I, I just can't imagine a pagan person going mm -hmm. along with that. And then on top of that, I think it's pretty, you know, it, 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 in order for that theory to be functional, it has to paint Christians as excessively stupid. So pagans are excessively weak in this theory and Christians are excessively stupid because they in this theory, they stamp out the local holiday and they say, you have to carry on our off-brand version of it. But, you know, what's to stop the pagan from just secretly practicing their version of it and then just publicly saying, oh, no, 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 it, it, it's, it's Snowflake Day. It's Snowflake Day, right? No Christian, no matter how evil that Christian was or corrupt that Christian was, was dumb enough to go for that, right? So it just, I feel like that theory fundamentally misunderstands human nature, I have my own theory as to kind of why this happens or, or what the reasoning is behind sometimes why there is this amalgamation of secular and Catholic custom historically. But, but I want to toss it over to you. What do you think of what I'm saying here? Do, do you agree yeah. with where I'm coming from? Or? Um, well, basically I, I, I mean, my sense is that like, even when it's clear that like Christianity has taken over or adapted days or, elements of a festival or whatever from other religions it's like uh i think we i think we have to understand that properly um so like for instance okay with halloween it's really uncertain uh, right so the what you mentioned about the irish thing is like super yeah that's like dubious at best you know like it's just not there's not solid evidence for it we don't really know um this other thing that was in march or may 13th um okay maybe there was some connection there but again like we have a date shift at some point and like so what's what's connecting it what's bringing it all, all along the way um it's it, that's a much less clear-cut case the clearest cut case and we're gonna get ahead of ourselves a couple of months is christmas obviously so like um in 274 emperor aurelian uh who is super super duper uh into the sun god uh he establishes december 25th as the um dies natalis uh so the birthday of deus sol invictus mithra um so just the the mithra the god of the unconquered sun <clears throat> um or the unconquered sun god uh and that's you know this is not disputed history like that's just, it's just he aurelian didn't reign for long he lived he reigned from 270 275 and he was just super duper into the sun god and uh he he didn't you know this had been around before but he was super into the sun god um and so in 274 he makes december 25th uh feast feast of the, the 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 birthday of the sun god uh <clears throat> and you can see fair enough i mean there's natural historical connections here with like midwinter and you know the the day that the sun starts to rise again you know from the dead as it were um makes perfect sense um then the first time that we have um evidence that christians are celebrating the 
the dies natalis the birthday of um god of christ um on december 25th is um we have a record of a homily um not the homily itself unfortunately but we have a record of a homily given by pope liberius uh that was that was delivered in either 353 or 354 um so something like 75 years after that day is chosen as the uh the day of the birth um of the um mithra the god of the sun uh it is it is it becomes the day that the christians celebrate the birthday of of christ before that it had been january 6th what we now celebrate is the epiphany um those get separated basically in the west they get separated and eventually that gets separated everywhere um and um uh so like that's just that's a really undisputed historical sequence of events sure. like that's just what happened um but again like i think i think what's wrong here so you can get wrong wrong from a couple of different perspectives one perspective is to say like well that just means it's really pagan all along it's your kind of like super low church like um bible only sort of i mean it's kind of jehovah's witnessy actually like we don't celebrate holidays we you know whatever mm -hmm. um notion that like all of your holidays are actually pagan and the fact that you celebrate them means that like secretly christianity is always just pagan it's always just a, like an amalgamation love, of a bunch I of love lies side note that you are basically approximating and drawing a parallel between like modern wiccans and jehovah's witnesses as essentially believing the same thing because i know how uncomfortable fact, yeah. that would make both groups and i love it that's yes exactly which i think is all good um yeah, so there's that, uh, which um, which is just really embarrassing because well, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, uh, and of course, sometimes sometimes Christians can have that same anxiety, anxiety, you mm -hmm. know, that like, oh, but if we took this over, then like I, I may, you know, I'm anxious about that because if, I, if we took it over, then maybe there this is a kind of paganification of Christianity and like whatever. Um, or or, or um, alternatively, maybe Christianity is, you know just the latest iteration of a more eternal truth and you know we're colonists and it's all terrible yeah right which is sort of the right so, that, so then, that. exactly so we get the kind of like um golden bow joseph campbell kind of situation where it's like just a hero with a thousand thousand faces you know nothing's new nothing's old it's just there it is okay um but listen that's just not getting it right that's just not getting it right like um the fact is Christianity has never been afraid um, to uh, see itself in the good things of other of other times and places and cultures um, that it's exactly the wrong way around to say that Christians went to pagans and said like, hey, come celebrate like our bargain basement <clears throat> Christian knockoff version of what you're doing the christian contention in discovering that that um coming to this richer understanding um of i uh, christ the son of god uh his you know uh being co-equal with the father and all these things and connecting this with um really kind of originally march 25th and then connecting it with december 25th because of that um they discover like isn't this amazing even the pagans in their ignorance were celebrating um 
not the truth, but something that reached towards it in some kind of a way that basically they had a kind of bargain basement Christmas that they didn't realize how bargain basement he was. Uh, and now that I come along and I bring the real thing. Right. It's like you've 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 spent the last 400 years eating like tasty O's from an unlabeled bag. And I'm here to bring you honey nut cheerios (laughs) right yeah no i mean this is and this is something a lot of the christian fathers wrote a lot about you know especially in regards to roman thought greco-roman thought you know the Mm -hmm. idea the idea that hey like these guys are to some degree um without knowing it prophesying christianity and here christianity comes it's gonna fulfill all this cool old stuff so so you mention um you mentioned the Christmas thing, and we'll probably do a whole episode on this, but I believe it was St. Saint, Saint Boniface who, who goes to um, Germany, um, what's now Germany, um, in the Middle Ages, and starts, you know, preaching Christmas to these people, and all these Vikings, and the Vikings worship this, uh, this Odin tree, this great oak where they would lynch people ceremonially, mm-hmm. and he chops down that tree, and then says, hey, like, it's not wrong that you guys saw spiritual significance in a tree. God made trees. Here, here's this pine tree that has, you know, that's that's evergreen. It lives forever. And it has three points, you know, like the Trinity. And so, you know, I'm going to fulfill your desire to, to, you know, spiritually vibe with a tree by bringing in this this more fulfilled version of that same thing. And so there's this real philosophy on the part of Christians that says, hey, what you're doing is rad. We can make it radder. And that's yeah, why like so many pagan groups what connect doing with is it. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Like what you're doing is interesting. I just hate how much is false about it. Right. Right. So we, like this is this is the amazing Christian Christian like uh like boldness is like i love what you're doing i just hate how much of it is false and wrong and bad yeah uh and so like we're gonna do the same thing it's just all the false and wrong and bad stuff is going to be replaced by things that are true and you might think it looks kind of different but we think it looks kind of the same just a lot better right you know well and that's why again this is why i think this theory isn't just friendlier to christianity it's a far more humanistically respectful perspective to have on christian history because again it doesn't require that pagans be weak or dumb or stupid it it it, it doesn't say hey they had to be colonized and oppressed in order to celebrate these things it doesn't say hey they were tricked into celebrating these things it says hey this a couple of unarmed monks show up in my town and they philosophically engage with me as an equal. And they say, Hey man, like in the case of the Vikings, Hey man, like you really think sacrifice, like blood sacrifice is important. So do we, we think it's so important that our God did it. So no one has to do it again. And you think sex is magical and powerful. And guess what? So do we, we actually think it's so magical and powerful that you should only do it within marriage and so on and so forth. And so so there's this sort of yes end, like the the comedy improv kind of yes end to the pagans, right. where they they are ultimately in most cases where Christianity takes root, feeling respected by the way these beliefs consecrate their own beliefs, and they're joining up. And we can see that because of how much Christianity takes root in those places, and in the places where it didn't really take root so hot, it was because that same kind of philosophical uh, equality um, was not initially 
uh, sought after by by those missionaries. And so as we get into this conversation about Halloween, I know this is a hell of a lot of preamble here, but as we as we're sort of talking about Halloween, I just want to emphasize that this isn't something that we, you know, appropriated away from historically Romans or, you know, dubiously the, the, the Celtic Druids, you know, this is something that we rolled in and we said, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. We could probably pimp this out with a little bit of Jesus. Would you guys like that? Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's about right. That's about <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, Chesterton has this amazing quote. In fact, I have it right here. Um, of course you not do. Into, this was, this was not prepared, but I have it with me. Um, he has this amazing quote from the everlasting man. Um, anybody who feels like anxiety or angsty about like Christian use slash abuse of uh, pagan holidays, um, whether because you want to be a Wiccan or because you want to be a uh, Jehovah's witness or because you're like a, like an anxious um, uh, um, dad with uh, six children that you dress in gingham or something um, <laughs> uh should read should read uh the everlasting man by gk chesterton which is just absolutely phenomenal and he says this he so he goes through this kind of uh, golden bowie joseph campbelly like fear of a thousand faces he kind of like oh my gosh it's all just the same and look like the dying and rising wheat god and like all this kind of stuff so all these kinds of things of like oh it's just really the same thing and like soul you know Deus soul invictus mitras and then like oh and then like jesus and then oh like the sun and like okay you know it's like isn't that cute like yeah we found a bunch of the same things he says this um he says the life of man is a story an adventure story and in our vision the same is true even of the story of god the Catholic faith is the reconciliation of mythology and philosophy because it is the realization both of mythology and philosophy. It is a story, and in that sense, one of a hundred stories. Only it is a true story. I love that. It's the best. It's the it is it's the best. Uh, it's because it's it puts it exactly right. Like it is a story. It's just the true story. Right. And so we shouldn't be shocked that the God who wanted himself to be known over all of human history, who made human beings only so that they would know, be able to know him and love him and spent all of creation like reaching out to human beings to try to teach them about himself and giving them a natural desire for himself and all these things. Um, that even when people get things really, really, really deeply wrong and mess things up real bad, that there should be like echoes and fragments and shattered elements of the true story that will be like strangely picked up and echoed and re-echoed um and that when we look at like myths and pagan festivals and these things that you can see a lot about them that is not true uh and sometimes very harmful but there can be things about them that were reaching reaching for the truth and that this is what christianity says it's not like you people suck you're the worst doesn't it suck to be dumb like you uh <laughs> it says it says like we we were just like you this is paul right in the letter to the romans like we were just like you we were reaching out in ignorance and god in his goodness like let even nature speak to us and it told us some things and we got a whole lot wrong but guess what jesus christ like took our nature and he gave him he gave us what we couldn't ever get by ourselves and we want you to have it too yeah which is which is whether you ultimately 
because I, I, you and I share, you know, that we, we really want this, this podcast to be, you know, accessible from, uh, from any standpoint, you know, I know that it's hard to define every single term we use, but you know, I, I really don't care what you, the listener personally believe. And I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad to sort of be engaging in this conversation with you. Um, and so what I love about this read of the history, which I think is the truer read is that, um, it is so much more respectful. It is so much more respectful of everybody involved. And, and I think that whether or not you, you actually believe in Christian tenets, just the knowledge that that was the Christian philosophy from just a purely anthropological place of saying, okay, that's what these guys were actually coming in and saying, you know, I think it's, it's such a more palatable and, and more honest look at history than the one that we've marketed as, as, you know, you know, pagan as victim and Christian as victimizer that I think, uh, you know, it's something that we can all get behind a little bit more and, and have some more interesting conversations about, but that, that all said, so this is what happens with Halloween. Yeah, right. tell us, tell me a story, tell me a story, yay! <laughs> no, this is what happens with, with Halloween, and, you know, as you're, as you're saying, it starts off as, as a response to a particular temple, hey, we've, we've taken over this temple, and, you know, these gods aren't real, but we want to honor people's desire to have, you know, a connection with all these different, you know, spiritual forces, let's, let's give this over to the saints, and... Um, then that evolves into a holiday as you're talking about. And then at some point that gets, that gets changed over into, uh, the first of November, which is where some people theorize that that was a response to Sam Hain, which is this Druish, uh, Druish Druid death Ooh. festival, Irish death festival, um, in the, in the late fall, early winter, um, that may or may not have been held around the same time. Um, there is also, and we're going to talk about Dia de los Muertos a little bit more later on in the, the episode, but um, there's also some conjecture that Dia de los Muertos uh, predates Christianity um, because there mm. might have been an Aztec, there might have been an Aztec uh, death festival. Technically, it was a war festival. It was a festival uh, praising the god of war um, in late October, early November, um, where you would make offerings to dead soldiers you would make uh basically tamales for dead soldiers Ooh. to help them you know cross over into Ooh. the afterlife if they died in battle um okay. whether or not that's accurate and there is a lot of conjecture about whether or not that's accurate um one thing is true that that any any of the the death days so to speak whether they were focusing more on war or more on harvest as, as sam Hain did um or supposedly did one thing is is common that there is a one way street in regards to the dead with those days. Yeah, the mm -hmm. dead have gone. We can we can maybe help them a little bit, but we're also subservient to them and that that culminates in in basically the apex of that is I'm going to give some offering to the dead. So right. I'm going to leave a tamale you know, uh, for the Aztec war feast, I'm going to, you know, leave some mutton or something in, in Sam Hain. Um, we're going to have a bonfire to try to help them pass through, but it's this very kind of one way thing where they're not really right. Communicating back with us. It's more, we're sending them on their way and, and we're making these offerings and there's not a lot about us 
it's just mostly kind of about them, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, I, I just looked up because I couldn't exactly remember the date, but like just bringing in from a from a culture that was um, not going to have Christian influences where at any point, I mean, you mentioned the Aztecs, of course, but um, like in Japan, there's this like it's Obon, um, the Obon Festival, um, uh, which is also I was just, I couldn't remember the date, but it's it's um, it's earlier. It'll be like it's a lunar thing so it'll be between like middle of august and middle of september um and uh but it but it but it works exactly the same way you, know, you i'm sure you've seen photographs or, or videos of it it's that really you put you put um lights in a um lights in kind of a rice paper lantern yes mm -hmm. uh yeah. you, you float it down a river or you or you release them into the air it's stunningly beautiful you know um really really beautiful um but so just saying like an, another totally non totally non-christian culture that would have formed this um custom well before any any christian contact um that it works exactly the way that you were saying you know mm. so like just to be able to say that like there was question mark maybe this this death festival in 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 Ireland this death fe death festival in Mexico or you know what's now Mexico um like i also think like let's you know we can't ourselves just give into kind of golden bow thinking and think like oh well so it's all the same you know like ag again like because what the obon sure. does the same thing you know so like just to actually re reinforce your point that like there is something about the human heart that wants that wants to reach out to the dead and it's always, as far as I know, unidirectional in the way that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's mourning, right? I mean, that doesn't mean it's sad and I'm you know, beating my breast and, and weeping, but there's an element of going through the grief process with these days. You know, when you're talking about that Japanese festival, you know, I'm releasing that lantern. I'm, you know, in, in pre-Christian, whatever pre-Christian de los Muertos was, you know, I'm on offering this tamale to the to the spirit to pass them on so I can say goodbye essentially there's this mourning process that can be joyful that can be healing but that is essentially a a grieving process I want to talk about what Christianity does then to fulfill that like we're talking about how Christians come in and say that's cool but we can we can pimp it out with Jesus a little bit and make this more rad you know I was talking before about how there is this this attitude in Christianity that everything is relationship, that I'm drawing closer to relationship within the church on this side of heaven, drawing closer to the saints over there, drawing closer to God by way of drawing closer to everybody else, drawing closer to everybody else by way of getting closer to God and this constant cyclical uh, growing in relationship kind of a thing. And, and that allows death feast days to become two-way streets. Right. It's no yeah. longer just that I am making an offering to this dead person and saying goodbye. It's now this dead person is communicating back to me. It's this dead person is perhaps praying for me to God or, you know, communicating to God on my behalf. It is now I am actively drawing closer to that person, perhaps more close with them than I could have been in life because maybe they were kind of a schmuck and, you know, maybe my mom wasn't the nicest mom in the world. Now she's dead though. And she has been redeemed in Christ and she can be a better mom to me dead than she ever was alive. And, and I right. can communicate with her and not in this, in the sense of I'm speaking directly in sort of a psychic way, but in the sense of growing closer on a heart level to each other. And that pivots, you know, all hollows on an anthropological level, pivots death days 
into not a grieving process, but a celebration. Right. Yeah. Now, because, because my crappy mom has now been redeemed in Christ and we can be closer than we ever were before, this is a celebration. Now this isn't grieving or saying goodbye. This is selling, saying hello to a deeper form of relationship than we ever had before. And so a lot of the customs that very early anthropologically start coming out of all Hallows Eve, Halloween are a response to that celebratory nature. Everything else before mm. was mourning and offering. Now it's celebrating a number of different facets of death and mortality that that a pagan would not have felt comfortable celebrating. You know, that's really interesting because it also strikes me that one other thing that gets um, transmuted away definitively um, is the sense of propitiation because that's also a big part of this. Of I, I'll be honest, is, I have no idea what that word means. It's, you know, when you propitiate somebody... <laughs> obviously dude it's obvious it's just it's just when you propitiate somebody um so this so there's all there's often in i mean in most cultures maybe in all cultures uh there is also this sense of like the dead like we need to we need to we make maybe we give them gifts maybe we appease them um, we mourn them but 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 exactly but we also this is propitiation that we also appease them because they also might be scary as hell like because (laughs) they might actually be ready to just like straight kill you or haunt you or like get their own back if like things didn't go so great um around the time of death or before death or whatever um, and so partly you appease, you offer offerings to appease them, right. you know, you feed them, you do these things so that they like, don't come like stone cold haunt you and like curse you and do like bad ghost things. Um, so, uh, the, there an additional transmutation that happens is, uh, with all, all Hallows day, uh, is that suddenly we realize that like, there is no need to, um, appease hungry angry souls <laughs> right. so that they don't come and ghost on me right um but that actually the specific people that i'm giving thanks to god for on all saints day as opposed to all souls day um are those who are already sharing in the triumph of christ right who are who are fully with god in heaven and um and so there's no like appeasement there's no propitiation there's no like fear of what's going to happen you know it's just like it's just pure joy as you say like it's pure joy um which is then an interesting corollary with the next day uh where we also acknowledge in honesty that death is not pure joy and that it has with it mourning as well um but which is also in a kind of um uh which is a a holy corollary to that is that we actually are able to grieve those whom we um believe um are still in the process of being completely healed from the wounds of their life uh from the wounds of the mistakes they've made in their in the course of their life um and that what we're asking for for god is that they would be healed more fully brought into union with him um and set free um from what we call purgatory right but this purgation after death um so that like ideally the next all saints day when we are giving thanks to god for all the saints like this loved one we were just praying for at in a cemetery on november 2nd 
uh, that the next year round, uh, he'll be in heaven. Right. And in that way, again, there is a continuation of the sort of I'm giving the tamale to the dead warrior so that he can pass forward. Right. There is a, I'm praying for this person so that they can move from their their purgative state. That is the state where their soul's going to get cleaned up and ready to enter into heaven and then they can pass into heaven. But again, it's a fulfillment of that because it's not I'm appeasing yeah. you. It's I'm, I'm literally helping you out as an equal. There is now yeah. a, a community and a communion between me and this dead person that, again, is deeper than could have even existed in life. Um, right. And, exactly. and, it, and it does yep. bear this kind of celebration. So and, and it gives a casual attitude towards death that a lot of pagan faiths, all pagan faiths, really, to my knowledge, did not have. It gives a, a, a very casual attitude in a fun way towards evil as well. Um, because our knowledge now, our belief now as Christians that we've been freed from the mercilessness of death allows us to kind of spit in the face of the devil and spit in the face of death itself in, in sometimes very hubristic and mocking ways, which is really how Halloween takes off because mm. suddenly we now have, we now believe, you know, before I had to wear a big scary mask to scare away the ghosts. Right. Right. But right. now right. Yeah. that mm -hmm. that's a that's a big tenet of most pre-Christian faiths is I wear a big scary mask in some kind of ceremony to scare away the ghost or the spirit of the demon or the jinn or whatever it is. Right. Christianity comes in and says, actually, the tiniest baptized baby has more power because of Christ's grace flowing through it than the devil himself. So screw that guy. And now right. suddenly it's not the chief priest wearing a big scary mask to chase away the ghost. It's the little kids in the town dressing up as devils and ghosts to mock them. And there's a very clear pivot very early on in the celebration of Halloween to kids dressing up as scary things to piss off and mock those scary things. And that was a real shock to a lot of the, like, to cut back to my own personal experience with a lot of more, you know, well-intentioned, but let's be honest, prudish Christians who rejected Halloween baselessly as, as just being this sort of evil occult thing, you know, they were like, oh, you know, it's wrong to dress up as the devil or as a little ghosty or a witch or whatever else, because we're, you know, we're glorifying that stuff. But the point I would always make is like, would you be offended if you were, tr if you were like your street was undergoing trick or treating and you saw some teenager dressed up as Jesus, would you be offended if you saw him wearing some big fake beard and walking around getting candy? And they would say, yeah, of course I'd be offended. That's sacred. You shouldn't dress up as that. And I'm like, okay, why? Because dressing up as something cheapens it a little bit. Right. And they go, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So then your whole argument that dressing up as, you know, goblins and ghosties and all that stuff is somehow glorifying that evil is completely moot because that's just not how human beings work. If I dress up as something in a goofy way and go around getting candy or whatever I'm getting, I'm cheapening that thing. And, and I'm, and, and from a Christian perspective, I'm cheapening it intentionally because I'm saying mm. I'm only ballsy enough to go do this because I know Jesus has already saved me. So I, I can taunt the lion in the cage because I know there's already been a cage built around it. 
and and it makes me more courageous than I would have otherwise been. And so it becomes this very fun, spooky, like, oh, we're teasing the devil kind of a thing that that I think is is profound and really flies in the face of modern, not just what modernists think of Christianity, but frankly, what, what a lot of Christians think of themselves as sort of hiding, sure. be, hiding from the devil behind every bush, you know, the, the right. mom from Carrie comes to mind, right. As sort of the prototypical, you know, way that a lot of people see Christians now. And, and yet Christians would have been radical in the ancient world for being the exact opposite of that. That's a pagan attitude. We got to be scared of the dead. We got to be scared of basically everything because everything could kill us at any time. And we got to go through very crazy, almost OCD rituals in order to prevent that from happening. And the Christians come in and they're just flipping off ghosts and just acting like weirdos uh, very bravely. And and in some cases, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, very drunkenly. And, and, that's that's a radical radical thing it's a radical thing back then it's a radical thing to christianity now you know that's a that's i didn't know that context but that's a really interesting connection because like okay so there's this so this is so this is crazy so this is crazy moment so we talked we talked earlier like a lot of like christian um there there is christian cultural context that's really just very peaceful and like hey like let me let me just like pimp yo pimp yo um kind of mediocre festival into like some sweet festival you know um so there's that <laughs> sometimes it gets it's 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 like real chaos and violence um faux show so there's the in the latter camp there's this but it's it's in it's it's it reminds me of what you just said is um there's this incredible event in 392 in alexandria where um so there's a i think some christians are like digging into a basement to like just basically expand like dig a foundation for a church i, I think what's happening um alexander is a super important city you know in egypt and it's just this like huge cultural center and pretty it's, pretty it, decent it, library five stars on on pretty yeah if i would say five stars you know um i think i think again. the library ballot would yeah exactly i think it was already gone by this point but i can't remember um i forget when i forget when it gets burns down anyway um uh so in 392 these uh, christians are like they're just digging way down and alexander's hella old right and so uh when they're digging down they like stumble across um some like just whatever stuff from some other gods basically uh one of which is um the technical term for which is a priapic statue um which means a statue with a big old dingle dangle dong on it um because like you know this is this is a thing in a lot of religions um but uh but they had um you know fertility gods and stuff like that and one of the ways that you have them is they have these big dongs um and so uh so they find this is incredible so these christians they dig down just because they're just, just digging you know and they find this big uh gigantic wang statue uh, and they start marching it around town, like having a complete fake um, pagan procession because the, oh, the, the, the pagan religions are big into processions, too. Uh, and so they had this whole thing where they're like they're running around this big dong statue and making fun of it. But they, but it's all in the mode of like a serious religious festival and a serious religion, religious um, right, parody. Uh, procession. And, but it appears to be like entirely spontaneous. They're just like, oh, my gosh, this big dong statue is hilarious, guys. I know what we can do. And like. So then the pagans, who, by the way, are like 90% of the town, get <laughs> super pissed and like 
long story short, the Christians burned down uh, the most one of the most important um, temples in uh, all in the whole world. Um, it, go, it goes well, basically, yeah, for everyone. Uh, it escalates. Well, it ex- escalates over the course of a of like a week or so. And by the end of it, um, I the government comes in, the Christians convince the government to like um, burn down this temple and let them like destroy a bunch of its statues, um, which, right. uh, which is, becomes this really important moment in the, in the conversion of Egypt actually. So like sometimes it's violent, uh, but, uh, right. uh, but it all, it all starts with actually this, this, this reality that you're talking about, which is this like, just like, wouldn't, this is hilarious. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if we just kind of like basically taunted this and like ran it around all over town? Um, this is not a suggestion, by the way, for people to ha- develop um, Halloween costumes with big dongs. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> We're not formally uh, suggesting it. We just won't be mad at you if you do it. I am not formally suggesting it. It did end up with a fair amount of violence last time. Um <laughs> But, you know, what can I say? Um, so, uh, but yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. There is this kind of just, there's this bizarre, sometimes even uncomfortable Christian just like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. Um, yeah, and again, yeah. per what you're saying here, I want to cut back to my my reading of history with, you know, Christians yeah, yeah. engaging in dialogue, et cetera, and so forth. I really don't mean to, just to be clear, paint Christians with this kind of smiling lens that we always did everything right and we're just great people all the time. Christians are the first people to say that we, we suck most of the time and we do everything pretty poorly we, we we know what we ought to be doing and we think that's pretty cool but we're often hypocritical about it and we fail to rise to the the standards that we believe god has set for us and the standards that we very explicitly talk about so i'm not trying to say that christians always did that right but i am saying that there was a core with that argument before just for the sake of clarity for the listener yeah, yeah. There, 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 there is a core philosophical difference with how Christians per- perceived other religions, not as something to supplant, but as something to fulfill, and in the way that Christians saw scary stuff, taboo stuff, even including sexuality, which we'll get into in other episodes. You know, where, in short, it's kind of amazing how irreverent Christian reverence is. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The, the yeah, e- no, that's yeah. that's exactly how I would put it. That's that's exactly right. Um that uh that a lot of like well, for instance, um uh Anthony of the Desert. Um Oh yeah, who, Anthony of the Desert everybody knows Anthony of the Desert. Yeah, Anthony of the Desert, he's this great man, uh, monk who goes and lives, guess where? On the ocean. No, in the <laughs> desert. Um and um uh and he dies in Meh. 354 i think um and uh there's this amazing amazing passage in the life that saint athanasius uh writes about him and he knew him like athanasius knew him personally and stuff and um there's this incredible passage where um a couple of passages where um so at one point anthony has um locked himself up in a abandoned mountain fortress for you know 20 years and um like we've as all one done does it. and uh, as one does you know and uh he he had previously had like various combats with demons and stuff and like he comes out of it and he's like i'm so he's like i'm so over this you know this is ridiculous these people are clowns and um and so but he's a holy man and he has a he keeps healing people sort of whatever and like people will come to just hang outside out of um 
out of his outside of his fortress because he won't let anybody in and he won't come out himself. But people will come and they want to be healed by by St. Anthony. And so uh, they'll come to the fortress uh, and he'll and they won't let them in. And so they'll just like spend the night sleeping outside the fortress. Uh, and then they get really freaked out because they hear all these like demons like going all crazy, trying to like break into the fortress and trying to like disturb Anthony and whatever. And so they like knock on the window and they're like, Anthony, you know, help like demons. Um, this is scary. And um, and it's incredible. He just basically says like, oh, my uh these clowns again, like somebody's talking about raccoons in the in the in the in the gar- the garbage can or something. They're just like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, the freaking raccoons again. And he's like, guys, just you know what? Just make the sign of the cross and go back to bed. OK, it's really just these people are jokers. All right. Just go back to bed. And I love it. I love it. It's like um, the Anthony went out to the desert in part to fight demons, you know? Right. But by the time he's, but by the time he's an old man, he's just like, Oh my gosh, you know what? Why are you getting so worked up about this? This is not a big deal. Just make the sign of the cross, tell Jesus that you love him and like, just go back to bed. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a great it's like story. So psychologically healthy. It's so psychologically healthy. I freaking love it. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, there's another story I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Um, to get the details right, but but there's another story about you know Saint John Vianney, who you know, the the story goes that, and this is the patron saint of priests, and the story goes that he was fasting quite radically with nothing but boiled potatoes, and oh. um, that at some point you know he he has this he hears this cacophony of clattering noises very poltergeisty type crap and uh he comes downstairs and sees satan himself like destroying the kitchen and these visions of hell and satan screaming at him you know potato eater and all this you know all, all kinds of expletives <laughs> and stuff like that and, the worst possible <laughs> right exactly um and and he say, he looks at Satan, he says, oh, it's only you. And he goes back to bed. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. And that's, that's whether or not that story is apocryphal, that is the collective Catholic attitude towards evil and darkness and, and things of this sort. And so this, again, to come back to, you know, to our main topic here, this becomes an inextricable part of the celebration of Halloween and, and, a, and a fulfillment of that pagan thing where suddenly it's a celebration, suddenly it's a goof off, and a lot of really cool customs come out of that. And the biggest one is trick-or-treating. Now, a lot of people think, and I'm curious what you'll think about this, but a lot of people think that trick-or-treating is a more modern invention the trick-or-treating is, you know, kind of the, the kidifying of, you know, the, the spooky, spooky thing and stuff like that. But actually, nothing can be further from the truth. Pretty much because you're saying, you know, it gets, it, uh, the All Hollows gets moved to November 1st um, in, in kind of England and Ireland around that point that that's being Christianized uh, pretty early on in the British and Irish celebration of Halloween, um, a tradition arises called souling. Okay. Now, what you have to understand about the way the the British celebrated holidays for pretty much as old as recorded history is there was a lot of like going door to door and getting drunk. 
There's That's a lot awesome. of that. Oh my gosh, these people are so great. Right? There's a lot of this that. This is great. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was called mumming, where you would sing okay, sure. and yeah. you would drink from door to door. We get a couple of big Christian traditions from mumming. The most prevalent still is Christmas caroling. I go door right. to door in exchange for some kind of treat, and I sing and I drink. Now give us some figgy pudding. Now give us some figgy pudding. Now give us some figgy pudding and bring it right here. Right? That's that's a a Christmas version of mumming. Um, but the Easter egg hunt, for instance, is also a version of mumming um, that comes from this period. So, you mm. know, Christians are prohibited from eating most major proteins during Lent, not just meat, and they are pickling all of the eggs and, and during various, uh, using various methods where they'll come out as red or blue or green, depending on the, the pickling method. And you're going out at the end of Good Friday service, beginning of Holy Saturday, going to door to, going door to door in exchange for warm beer and pickled eggs and getting just about as messed up as humanly possible before you go and do like a play to celebrate you know the the resurrection of christ and so you know eastern easter like, egg hunting like right easter egg hunting comes from the english pace egging the the celebration of of going egging on pace or pacha you know easter easter tide um the 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 coolest version of this of all though is souling from where we get which is where we get chris uh trick-or-treating from and basically these kids are dressing up as ghosties and ghoulies and devils and all this kind of stuff and they're going door to door and they're singing halloween carols yes there were halloween <laughs> carols and they're saying this is somehow this got this passed out of cultural memory the glories of the halloween carol until tim burton i will have you know there you go as you were there you go as thank you god for tim burton right but um they basically are going door to door singing halloween carols in some cases drinking quite a lot of beer and they are Probably all cases all cases right but they are specifically um, asking for something called a soul cake in exchange for prayers for whatever dead loved one you ask them to pray for. So no way. I'm going to go to your door, no I'm going to knock, and I'm going to sing a little song, and then you're going to give me a soul cake, which is essentially a shortbread cookie with dried plums or apples or raisins in it. Um, so, you know, it's a tasty little you know cookie. And you're gonna so you're gonna give me this cookie, and then you're gonna tell me, hey, would you pray for my grandma? She died last year. And I'll go yes, and I and I take my cookie and I go on to the next house and I drink more beer and I eat more cookies and I, I pray for these people. And then the next day, at you know, because this is All Hallows Eve, the next day at All Hallows Mass, I pray for all those people whose families gave me cookies. Right. And, That's and awesome. this, no way. this is no literally, way. and there's some great versions of this song. Unfortunately, some very dumb people, again, well-intentioned, but dumb people have weirdly optioned this as a Christmas carol. Cause they assume that all carols from the early medieval period are Christmas <laughs> songs. So yes, yes, most yes, famously yes. Peter, Paul and Mary from the sixties did a Christmas cover uh -huh. of the souling song. And then most recently Seriously? sting world famous performer sting on his Christmas album mm. did a performance of the souling song and it unironically Sing. slaps i will say this it does slap except for the fact that they made the bridge of it just the um 
just an instrumental version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, which of course resets it as a Christmas song and that pisses me off. But the rest of it unironically <laughs> slaps. amazing. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a beautiful, you know, soul cake, a soul cake, please good Mrs. a soul cake, an apple, a pear, a plum or a cherry, any good thing to make us all merry. A soul cake, a soul cake, please good Mrs. a soul cake, one for Peter, two for Paul, and three for him what made us all. And this is this That's song awesome. that I'm singing door to door. Now, of course, this gets watered down in America, pop culture, um, as uh, as trick treating. And there's there's some you know intersection here. We're skipping a lot of history because you know after the Catholic persecution by Puritans in England during the English Renaissance, um, all Catholic holidays get banned. Christmas gets banned. You're not allowed to go to church on Christmas. No good Christian would ever go to church on Christmas. Halloween gets banned. Yeah, obviously not. Um, I mean, I never did as a kid, so let's be honest. (laughs) But also Halloween gets banned. Also colored clothing gets banned. Tennis gets banned. Theater gets banned. A lot of- all good Catholic things like tennis. Right, tennis and color. Um, All that stuff gets banned. (laughs) Some Catholics get pissed off. They try to blow up Parliament in early November. Listen, listen, listen. It's okay. Okay. Everybody blows up Parliament every now and then. Every now and then. And and, and you got to remember. My lawyer tells me I never said that. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in your legal defense, they banned tennis and color and Christmas and Halloween. So... They I were kind of asking to is... get blown up, you know? And then check it out. When t- when they finally allowed tennis back, they still didn't allow color. Right, right. Mm, so, that's why everyone be wearing white all the time. Right. I knew so it. this couple of really, 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 really historically, epically inept uh, Catholics try to blow up Parliament, fail miserably. They become great scapegoats yeah. for anti-Catholic sentiment in England at the time. This is what we know as Guy Fawkes Day. He was sort of the de facto leader of the group, Guy Fawkes. And so Halloween within Protestant England which has abandoned Halloween because it's too Catholic, now finds a way to do a lot of their Halloween traditions through an anti-Catholic holiday where they're literally you know, burning the Pope in effigy. They're burning Guy yeah, Fawkes Guy in, Fox effigy. in effigy. Yeah, they're right. singing you know, anti-Catholic songs, but they're still drinking and going door to door and eating cookies and they're still having their bonfire. So this is a way to get that in despite the fact that that has been made illegal. And right. that pretty much fully supplants Halloween um, except for a few, you know, Catholics who are celebrating it quietly and reverently until of course, George Washington bans Guy Fawkes day in the United States. Oh, I didn't realize that. Because the French who are helping us out with the war are getting offended. Oh, interesting. The, the okay. soldiers are, you know, burning Pope and effigy, doing their Guy Fox shit. And the French who are bailing us out to the English during the American Revolution are going, what What the hell, dude? Like, this is not okay with us. We're very devoutly Catholic people. This is very offensive. We're going to pull out. So George Washington unilaterally makes it illegal to celebrate Guy Fox Day in the military. And this old Halloween thing, which some Dutch Catholics are still celebrating especially in New York, um, you know, New Amsterdam at the time gets, gets just blown up again. Trick or treating gets blown up again. All these customs that had been basically dormant for several hundred years, thanks to George Washington needing to appease the French get reawakened and just explode over the course of America where you see that 
Halloween becomes really an American Christian holiday in a very particular way. Right. Um, you know, even, even other countries' traditions get supplanted by American traditions. You know, for instance, jack-o'-lanterns, the first jack-o'-lanterns are actually turnips in Ireland. Oh. They're carving, you know, turnips. Um, and that is actually pre-Christian. They're carving turnips to, you know, be ugly faces to scare away ghosts and goblins and things like this. Um, that gets supplanted into Christianity and then brought over. Um, and we can do it way bigger and better with pumpkins, baby. You know, everything's bigger and better in America. So we start doing with pumpkins and other countries, even the countries like Ireland who, you know, we're doing the turnip thing, start taking the pumpkins back. And, and, and this is what's called anthropologically and in religious studies, the pizza effect where, you know, yeah. like pizza in, in Italy was just bread. It gets brought over, turn into what Americans consider pizza and then gets brought back to Italy. And now Italians are eating American pizza as pizza. Right. So, you know, we see this with right. St. Patrick's day, for instance, you know, uh, not really a big thing in Ireland becomes a huge thing in America as Irish Catholics say, Hey man, we're human beings too. We deserve a holiday to celebrate us. And then now if you go to Dublin on St. Patrick's day, it's like, freaking crazy right but it's because they took uh this american thing that had been americanized and brought it back and um yeah it's it's and now you have all these these all these all these poor irish people who honestly didn't deserve it eating um this new york jewish (laughs) cut of beef uh which is um the worst food on the entire planet um which of course they never ate because it's a thing that new york jews um right invented right we're talking about corned Uh, beef and corned beef yeah yeah Yeah. uh and now like now the poor irish have to eat it because like it's quote irish and it's oh it's such a tragedy such a tragedy it is a, a tragedy but what's not a tragedy is how halloween has been proliferated and and experienced this great reawakening in response right. to a shutdown of anti-catholicism that that has really gone international i mean you know halloween is yeah, celebrated everywhere sure. now it, it's been more evangelically successful than even the religion that started it and and you know, you see that, and I know we're not going to give a ton of time to Dia de los Muertos here, in part because we're two white guys who aren't going to be able to give it justice. But, you know, that that particular holiday, you see a very similar thing here, right? If there is any Aztec basis for it, again, it's the giving of tamales to warriors. But now saints come in, and, and Christians come in, and Christ comes in, and now I can communicate with those dead, I can celebrate and it becomes partially celebration, partially reverent. And then the pizza effect happens there too, because, you know, all this Christian art happens in response to Day of the Dead. You know, the little skeleton figures, the afrentas, you know, where we make the little remembrances, the memorials to dead people. And then it's like 2005 or something, and a James Bond movie comes out, Spectre, where they... Um, have him like fighting an assassin or something in a day of the dead parade in Mexico city, which doesn't exist. That didn't happen. But the same year, the Mexican government in order to facilitate tourism installs the first ever official Dia de los Muertos party and retroactively makes it this cultural celebration. So a lot of the stuff you're seeing again, pizza effect but it's it's how anthropologically different religions 
you know, collect these things. And I think the fact that that starts off with this Catholic laissez-faire attitude towards all things scary and, and a really fun tradition of going door to door and getting cookies and beer in exchange for prayer becomes this thing that is now a spooky season for everybody all over the world. That's amazing to me. Right, right. And I do think that there's something in it that is comp- that's complicated because I mean, it, just like you're saying that this turns, um, I mean, we're we're sort of seeing like, is this is this what happened? Is this what it was like to be a pagan um, in like 355 when the Christians are all saying now like, no, no, on Christmas we celebrate on on December 25th we celebrate Christmas, and then like the pagans are like, nah, bra, but what about what about like Dave Sol Invictus Mithras, you know? Right. Um, is like you you know you describe that kind of happening with like Catholics and and uh, guy and Halloween and Guy Fox and the Protestants and all of this, um, so that is interesting that that kind of like there that you see that certain like resilience and tension here um, in cultural customs and how that's connected with religion, um, and I wonder now if like one thing that we see about this like very international. Um, version of Halloween that is in a lot of its in most of its aspects like strictly kind of post-Christian um like how that relates to this to this history which is really fascinating I didn't know anything about like I because I think obviously we can say as Catholic as Catholics like well fantastic then like let's 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 like live our own history and just like be cool with this and like have a great time and you know like um where give out candy sweaters. and get candy and stuff yeah. wear spooky sweaters etc like okay fine that's that's totally cool but now I sort of wonder, like, so, but then it seems like culturally it's moved so far beyond this that it's actually now becoming something else. Just it's the, it's the, the inverse that it's becoming something else on that. We're now we're moving away from the true story to a different story mm-hmm. um, to that. We're moving away from the pimped out Christian version to like, in fact, a kind of bargain basement version that's like Party City and like all the rest, you know, yeah, that like quite literally. I mean, yeah. let me just let me just that is literally Party City, you know, like, let me just say it like, like the two words that I was thinking about when you were giving that like very beautiful presentation is like, well, yes, but what about naughty nurses? <laughs> right. You know no, what you're I'm not saying? Wrong. Is it's like, wrong. Yeah. you know, it's so like, I just think like and this isn't just like to to like conclude this super fascinating discussion about like the history and like religious anthropology of of halloween by saying like well yeah but then like party city opened up in like 1985 or whatever and like now everything is ruined um but it's just to say like we i we have to acknowledge the reality which is that like um i the kind of cultural force of this is now like stronger than it's this like cultural commercial secular post-christian force of it is stronger um then it's christian force and it's the cultural secular commercial aspect of it that is that is the vehicle of transmission at this point um and and so i just now it creates this really interesting reality for us like um to to think about this so like now what is it um well i would say and i i opened this uh you know, the, the intro for this episode was sort of for, for Disney fans like me, uh, was a little Haunted Mansion homage. Um, Ooh, I didn't catch it. But, but um, 
you know, there, there's a great line in the Haunted Mansion where it says, which leaves you with this chilling challenge to find Ooh, a way out. Challenge. And that's what I would say. You, you say, what what is it now? I would say it's a chilling challenge to find a way mm. out. You know, you, you mentioned Party City, but I think an even better representation of, of how kind of cheapened Halloween has been is is Spirit Halloween, right? Spirit Halloween is oh. those big stores ah. that kind of come in <laughs> And they take over a derelict building for three or four weeks every October. And oh, yeah. I think this is what I meant. Yeah, totally. Right. And they sell the cheapest possible crap imaginable. And then they and then they leave. Right. And I think that's a very there's actually a very good analogy for what's happened with Halloween. You know, we as Christians inadvertently let the building be emptied. And, yeah. you know, when when Christians allow their their buildings their emotional, spiritual, anthropological, cultural buildings to be emptied. Culture isn't going to not celebrate stuff. They're not going to be okay yeah, with that vacuum. Fair point. So, yeah, fair so point. a spirit Halloween is going to move in. Yeah. Right. And, and, oh my and, gosh, and secularization chilling. isn't the conquering of Christianity by the new, the neo-pagans. It's, it's like a little kid who we abandoned and decides to continue doing their version of the celebration without us. And that's on us. You know, yeah. the, the, the chilling challenge, therefore, that I would pose and, and close out this episode with is, let's go in and fill the building again. You know, yeah. the Spirit Halloween is only there for four weeks. That, that derelict building is there all year. And we can furnish it with an unabashed, you know, uh, uh, hubristic kind of laissez-faire attitude towards death and evil all year round. We can fill it with a devotion to the saints and to our loved ones who've gone before us all year round. We can, we can spook and celebrate and praise God all year round, and we can fill that building so that when Halloween comes around next year, you know, you say, you said earlier, when, when, when uh, All Saints comes around next year, hopefully we're better. When, when Halloween comes around next year, there's no room for the cheap, shitty, off-brand Spirit Halloween version of our holiday to move in again. So bring us some soul cake. So bring us some soul cake. So bring us some soul cake and a cup and of good cheer. Right here. <laughs> Listen, Perfect. we were doing different endings, but I respect that. That's awesome, dude. I thanks, man. I accept this is a chilling challenge that is also a rousing challenge, and I I respect it immensely. Well, praise God, and we wish you guys good luck. And in embracing this chilling, rousing challenge, we wish you wish you uh, blessed luck with your trick or treating, with your souling this year, and uh, we ask you to just go forth and create cool things. This has been Created Things, an art, soul, and mind production with Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta. Production by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on the podcast and on its hosts, visit artsoulandmind.com. <laughs>